The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Powell. There are probably a few people listening that have kept up with friends from school and kicked around some business ideas. Maybe even some that have enjoyed the odd beer together and thought about making their own. But how many people actually go ahead and make it happen? That is the founding story of today's company, Urbanaut, that came about after three friends took an epic road trip and then, to fund the brewery, bought the worst house in Auckland and made it one of the best, setting them up to open an amazing brewing facility and tasting room in Auckland's Kingsland. The three friends came from Martin, malt growing country, and two of the co-founders, Managing Director and Chief Brewer Bruce Turner and Sales Director Thomas Rowe, are on today to tell the story of making a dream happen with a few steps and global adventures along the way. Kia ora, good morning, thanks for being here. Hi Simon, thanks for having us. Yeah, good morning. Hey, awesome. So first up, um, maybe Bruce, tell us how you and the co-founders met at school. So we all come from the small town of Martin in the Rangitiki. Uh, Thomas and I actually grew up on farms right next door to each other. So I've known him since I was one or two years old. Uh, the third partner, uh, Simon Watson, who's not here today, um, we met at high school. We all got into surfing, snowboarding, skateboarding, went to Massey University, stayed friends throughout, and then went travelling around Europe, through the States, often around snowboarding, and then um, ended up back in Auckland, and it's just been a lifelong journey, really. How did it, how did it kick off? So so what, tell me about kind of, there's this great um, foundation myth of the trip through the US and trying all of the um, kind of surging craft beer scene over there. Well, for me, um, my first trip to the US was in, uh, what would it have been, 98. I was, uh, I was at university and it was in between, well, it was after my last year before I went back for a postgrad uh, course that I wanted to do. And I, I'd, I'd come from a, from a, in Palmerston North, from a, from a steady, steady diet of, of, of mainstream beers. And I got over there and, and the scene was really just starting in the late 90s. And there was just this amazing diversity of flavours that you could experience in beer. And I'd never seen anything like it. And being uh, been in my twenties, of course, that was that was a big part of our lifestyle. And uh, I came back, and uh, and and that's that's really what what opened my eyes to what could be. Um, and then and then these guys, they 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 did various other trips. I think the year after they went over to the states, and then and then on to Europe. Um, so that's yeah, that's really how how 
how it very first started. Because it's kind of wild, eh, that beer that used to be something that every single village and, you know, every farmhouse would have their own little brews down and you'd make it with berries or florals or whatever was around to make it interesting and in season and was this cornucopia of like experimentation but for 50 years just became kind of four kind of beers that were all lagers that you could only buy and 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 the rest of it just kind of died it's bananas eh yeah the mass production of beer was seemed to be necessary uh in new zealand and worldwide um but we're so lucky in the last 15 20 years that it has turned around a lot of that was brought on by home brewing and the, the Americans actually led the craft beer revolution. Um, I think it's the best time currently to be a beer drinker. There's so many uh, breweries to uh, sample. It's, it's quite competitive, so breweries are really pushing to do new things and new exciting things. And a lot of villages and suburbs now have their own brewery, such as in Kingsland. Mm. Um, and it's kind of gone back to the way things used to be back maybe 100 years ago, or as you'd see still in Belgium and Germany where they have their own regional breweries. And you were the one that, that drew the um, off to actually learn the craft straw there, Bruce. Tell us about, like, you know, taking from... Because I'm sure lots of people must have headed off on trips and tasted some great beers and thought, oh, I think I could make some of this. But you went to the UK and got right amongst. Yeah, I've got an engineering degree in manufacturing and i worked in a range of industries and hadn't really found anything I was passionate about. I'd been home brewing for quite a while and then looking at jobs in London and then the penny dropped and I'm like, why am I not working in brewing? I love beer, I love making beer. So it was the perfect um, combination there. Um, managed to land a job at uh, Fuller's Brewery in London as a process improvement um, role, first of all. And then realised that was it for me, did further studying in, in brewing to get direct uh, diplomas in the making of beer. And then sort of always had this um, dream and vision that we were going to start something in New Zealand. And uh, at that time realised I wanted to put in enough groundwork so that when we came and we started, we had a pretty clear idea of how to make good beer and where the company was going to head, rather than sort of jumping in and experienced. And uh, timing-wise, it all seemed to have worked out quite well. And in the meantime, Thomas, you and Simon were over here, and... There's this great story uh, of, of um, your development company buying a house that many people would have seen because it popped up in the Herald and it was covered in TV shows, that the real estate agent said was the, um, was the worst house he'd ever sold. And then you turned it into something uh, that, that was quite amazing. Yeah, th- yeah that's correct. Um, yeah, while, while Bruce was in, in London getting experience in brewing, Myself and Simon, we had uh, we had another business. It was it was property development business, and our our basic strategy was we'd find rundown houses and and we'd renovate them you know, to to a top end. And it was in central central Auckland, so the so the uh, the worse the house we could find, the better from our perspective. So we'd, we're generally looking for these ones that were uh, quite tired rentals or ones that had, had neglected maintenance and and. Um, yeah, and then we'd buy them, and we'd spend about a year doing them up. So, so the one that you're referring to, yeah, that came up, uh, came up for sale, and and it was in a really bad state. And and yeah, as you mentioned, the, the Herald got hold of it, and they ran quite a few stories on it. And uh, and I mean, it was it was to my to my view, it was it was it wasn't an extreme example. It was just it was just a tight house, but um, but that's what we we're doing. So we'd spend a year. We had a team of six builders. 
and in central central Auckland we try and make them um, yeah like top end houses four bedrooms three bathrooms garaging and so forth so so that really that really gave us a, a platform to to get into a new venture um, a brewing business because uh, when we finished the last one um, that's that's when Bruce came back from the UK and we sat we actually sat down in Galbraith's one day and uh, at brew pub in Auckland and, and we had chats said what are you guys up to and we were we were at a loose end and, and Bruce was as well and said well let's do a beer business and it sort of went from there <laughs> that's so cool and like you say Bruce when you were saying before that you're um that you wanted to come back with a strong plan because you know, being being a, an Auckland resident and someone who um, is a fan of a beer, it felt like Urbanaut exploded fully formed because of the kind of scale that it first popped up in many people's consciousness. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of steps before you took that big site in Kingsland uh, and, and 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 opened up the um, the tasting room there. But yeah, what was what was the journey to get there? And did did you start small and kind of contract brewing around the place, or or did it kind of explode fully formed on the scene? It was sort of uh, five years in the planning, um, basically looking at what new breweries were popping up both in New Zealand and in the UK. At the time, uh, the idea was that brew pubs are the way forward, and we kind of looked at that idea early on. Um, then we also looked at locations, and Wellington is very craft beer or craft brewery um, strong. We kind of looked at Auckland and we thought there's not that many relative to the population and we could see a shift in the craft beer market and the drinkers. And also we could see there's lots of exciting things coming up in Auckland and so we thought, well, let's look at Auckland. Um, We started the brand um, with no contract brewing first of all, so we basically built this large site, um, came up with the recipes, the names, all the beers and then went and brewed them at a big scale from day one with the kind of uh, dream that if we brew it, they will come, and thankfully they did. Um, in terms of our facility, I'd seen a lot of breweries that start up that invest in a lot of stainless steel to also offer contract brewing, because in the early days when you're trying to go out and peddle your own beer and no one's ever heard of you, and it takes a while to get some income from that, from day one we were able to do contract brewing for other people, and you get paid for the whole batch of beer just as it leaves the site. So it gives you the cash flow that you need when you're a, a brewery starting up and um, over-investing. Because I guess the plus side of doing it where you contract brew at other suppliers is you build up your name and you build up your audience and you know you can then expand slowly. Like, Was that a big punt? Did people kind of look at the business plan and go... Stainless steel is pretty expensive, and this is a you know like it's definitely a thriving industry, but it's not. Um, it, the the good survive. Not everyone survives and thrives, do they? It was definitely a big punch, that's for sure. And um, thankfully, uh, Thomas and Simon trusted what I was up to. Um, with the uh, history that I had from brewing in the UK, and I had friends in New Zealand in the industry, um, I had people that would trust that the beer was going to come out fine if we contract brewed for them so that strategy worked but then also in terms of us making urban beer somewhere else and while we're setting up the brewery uh, because of my sort of production focused past I just knew that I wanted to be making the beer myself and that we'd find a way to sell it. And how did that go? Like so you, you got the backing you you went in so the three of you went in Thomas you're looking after sales you're, you're all making things things happen 
you've got these massive vats. Uh, how did it go, and how did you build up the brand? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely nerve wracking. Um, and as Bruce alluded to, we Simon and myself coming not from a beer background, um, but it was a, a huge leap of faith. Um, I mean, myself and Simon both had various sales roles, so we did have some experience in in how to go to market with a product and, and and open some doors. So, so we we well, I put my hand up to lead that, and um, and Simon actually did it at the start as well, until he got too busy with other roles in the business. But um, we basically just went out and and started talking to people, and that's that's the key to get started is is, is go knock on some doors and, and make some phone calls, and we we uh, we had some forecasts at the start. And it was enough just to to make the business viable, and we exceeded them um, pretty quickly. And and people were drinking our beer, and we were getting really good feedback. And so we we just we just grew and grew and grew from there. Um, but in saying that, um, we had a lot more expenses as well. So it wasn't it wasn't um, yeah, it wasn't just a, a money train. That's for sure. Yeah. And so having that big site with. Um the uh, tasting kind of uh, ability there as well, so people are able to come in and, and enjoy it. But like, what's the path to actually getting up to the volume you need from zero <laughs> to then get to kind of the volume that makes it a viable business? Because I've seen it in things like um, supermarkets, and is that the kind of key, or is it um, the passionate small beer sellers like the that 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 you start? Like, where, where's your where's your volume, and what what's the most important thing to grow with? I think I have a have a guard answering that, and Bruce might have some comments as well. Um, for us, for us, our our local customers are are really what what keeps the doors open. We've got our we've got our tasting room up on New North Road, and we've got a regular regular crew that come in there and they buy their takeaway beer and they spend weekends there. So that's that's really important for us and the bars, the bars and restaurants that have our beer on their menus, or uh, a lot of the bars will take kegs off us. So so we're we yeah we that we're, they're, that's really important. Um, for us to you know to supply that local market um, I mean supermarkets that's that's a growing area we haven't we haven't gone hugely into the supermarkets at this stage relative to some of the other breweries and that's largely a capacity issue we're not quite big enough to be able to to uh, you know, to do some of the big volumes some of the other breweries are are doing but we can we can grow into that uh, without too much trouble with the site that's one of the attractions of having that big site is as our volumes grow we can we can add and add and add more tanks to to capture that and and how about the point of difference is you know there's such a strong concept going through urban or like this idea of honoring these great places around the world and the urban exploration uh which is cool but i mean i'm sure it's all the juice that is the thing that um actually uh means that people pick it up as well how do you go about building out the line between having your mainstays that people could always go and then that exciting kind of exploration and, and um, new stuff around the edges? It's a really good question and that's something that we talk about on a weekly basis is how far do you go from just having a core range and then a few special releases to doing just a lot of special releases and you're keeping your core range quite low um, and it's a moving kind of um, balance as well what we're finding with the way the market is at the moment we want to be making new interesting beers um, to feed excitement in the industry. Um, that's There's a lot of new beer drinkers that want to be trying new styles. Then within um, on-trade and off-trade, you've got bars that just want to have an, a solid Pilsner and a solid Pale Ale, and so we want to have that all year round. But um, there's no sort of magic ratio at all, and um, for me as um, a brewer, 
I just love making new beers back to back and trying new things with the team and new ingredients and we've got quite a quick process now for coming up with new branding. It's um, 90% in-house and so we can turn around a new like concept and come up with a new name and um, illustration generally within a week and get it over to the printer which is really good to be that um, nimble and it's very cost effective that way as well. That's so exciting. And those concepts, like I'm sure a lot of people would have seen um, the uh, the blends that you uh, launched, they had those cool drawings by uh, Chris who goes by Chippy Draws on them, uh, where you actually had two cans stacked on top of the other that you could then pour into a cup together and taste. And then you've also just released the Shandy where you've partnered with Karma Cola to create like a... a um, yeah, like a cool version of a, of a shandy. Like, t- tell me about the like, what w- what goes into coming up with ideas like that. Um, just sort of looking at the market and seeing what could we do that would be new and exciting. Um, one path that we want to take is a, one of innovation. We want to constantly be innovating, either through beer recipes, um, the actual experience of sitting and drinking beer, whether it's in a bar or at home, and then we think there's a good future for packaging innovation in beer. It's sort of plateaued off for a while there. Craft beer moved into cans, um, but now we're looking at smaller smaller pour volumes and what we can do with the blender packs. But ultimately it's around fun and consumer engagement. So by having the two cans that you can taste separately and then pour together, it gives the drinker an opportunity to try different beers and think about what they're drinking and then working on blending and do we want to blend this one 25-75 or do we go 50-50? And a lot of that idea sort of came from my own interest in blending beers and sort of seeing what I'd like to do off the taps at the bar and how can we take this home for a new consumer experience. So that's what you do off the taps at the bar, like when you go to um, you, you know, a buffet bar when you're a kid and you put like the raspberry in with the Coke and you're real excited. Is that what you're up to behind the, the, keg, the keg taps? Exactly. Yeah, yep, there's a lot of fun there. <laughs> and in terms of um, getting it out into the world, which, uh, like, it's just not as simple with craft beer to get things over to the Northern Hemisphere as it is with some products of people we talk to, is it? No, definitely. For us, um, w- with our export, we've approached it very slowly. Um, we struggle to make enough beer for our local um, market at this stage. Um, shipping beer... Across the other side of the world, it's got to be chilled and it's got to be guaranteed chilled the whole time. Otherwise, it's going to be an inferior product when it gets there. Craft beer just doesn't do well in temperature. So at this stage, we're pretty much just looking at um, Australia, getting a bit over there and a little bit in sort of Southeast Asia. But predominantly, we want to sell the majority of our beer around Auckland and to the greater New Zealand. And that's like people wandering in from the neighbourhood kind of thing? Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, has it has it ever been along the way? Like, has it looked like it might not work? You know, like it's when businesses have landed and they've launched and they're successful, they always seem like they were a sure thing. But have there been times when it was uh, not so sure thing? There's definitely been hair raising moments. Um, <laughs> There's some nodding like, going on. Yeah, it's like a few sleepless nights. But we've never thought, okay, it's not going to work. It's going to be right. We're going to have to find another solution to get around this or change what we're doing here which is part of the fun of business. But um, thankfully we've had a lot of support from the local market and people coming into the cellar door and loving our beer and it gives you the reminder that we're doing something right and the beer, people are commenting that the beer's 
are tasting really good and the consumer experience is um, enjoyed, which has always been crucial for us, especially with at the cellar door level or going out and engaging with drinkers at beer festivals or at beer events. We want to be very open and approachable and um, inclusive. And by approaching the craft beer industry this way, we want to bring in non-craft beer drinkers or people that previously may have been a bit intimidated by what could be guys with beards and glasses and sitting in the corner rating beers. Because they're quite they're quite cool, designy, urban kind of colours and logos and designs, as opposed to, you know, sometimes you walk into a craft beer section and it looks like a series of like Pantera album covers and um, comic books going on, and it can feel quite kind of adolescent boy, while these feel way more kind of gender-neutral, cool, designy. That's really, really good feedback, and I'm, I'm glad that that's, that's uh, you have, the way you see it. Um, that's, that's, all, that's where we always wanted to be, is to be inclusive um, and gender-neutral. Gender, gender we, we see it at the cellar door. There's, there's, um, there's all sorts that come, come and buy beer from us. Um, and it's and I mean, when we started, it was it still is it's a really crowded crowded market. And especially if you look on supermarkets, some of the some of the bigger stores, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of different products for the customer to choose from. So good for the drinker, but how do you how do you stand out amongst that that noise, if you like? Um, so so it's fun. We've 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 got an in-house uh, designer, and she's she comes up with a lot of the ideas, and so we take a off to her every time we see one come through and go hey that's really awesome and uh, we've had people ask us to make t-shirts and posters and everything so it seems to be resonating with people well at this stage so so yeah it's it's a big part of of um, helping people make a purchase decision is what they're looking at on the shelf so it's really important to get to get um, to get that right so. and in terms of the innovation that you have been doing like how have you done that in a really structured way to keep doing interesting things it's one of the beauties of being relatively small with a nimble team and then ultimately having your own equipment and process from receiving materials to canning it and putting it in your own warehouse and chucking it in your own van and getting it out. Um, we can react to things really, really quickly. So if we have a new idea um, about either a beer style or something that we're going to package in a different way, then we, we're, very, we're able to turn it around in a couple of days and order the ingredients and do something very quickly in that sense. So that's helped with, uh, especially with the blender scenario, that's uh, been super crucial. Y- your question was about how do you manage it in a structured way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was having a chuckle because at times, at times it doesn't seem like there's any structure, but that's, that's exactly what Bruce is saying, like um, really spontaneous. We can just uh, just make things happen. So oh, That's so cool. And in terms of like, you know, if people are listening to this and, you know, they've got some homebrews down and, you know, their mates like it and they enjoy c- kicking around with mates. Like, what what advice would you have for them about ways to actually probably not set up in competition to you? But although craft beer is pretty collegial, isn't it, really? It's not so that the, every a rising sea lifts all boats kind of thing. But, yeah, what, what advice would you have for people who, who did want to make a, a dream with mates happen? It's an exciting path to take, for sure. Um I'd say do a fair bit of research around what part of the market you want to be in and where you'll sell the beer. It's much easier to make beer than sell it. Um, look at the, what size of business you want to be and what kind of uh, whether you want to be just 
like a brew pub or focus on supermarket, how big you want to get. Um, as Thomas alluded to, it is quite a competitive, busy market. Um, there's still opportunities. Um, we've seen a lot hap- happening in the provinces. Um, I still think there's some amazing cities out there that could totally use a brew pub or a, a brewery of their own. Um, and then choose your partners wisely. We've, as three friends, um, we've been really lucky in that we all trust each other. Um, we are good at making decisions as a team. If two out of three agree, then that's it. And the third person will happily go along with what the other two have decided. Generally, we've, all three of us agree, so we're, we're quite aligned in that sense. Um, and do a strong business plan and make sure you get the right amount of capital that you need for the venture. Without cash, you're not going to go anywhere. Bananas, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, s- sitting here now, like, what what will success look like for you in a few years' time? Where would you like Urban Orc to get to? Um, it's um, for 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 me, for like success, success has arrived to to, to some degree because um, when we started off the business, we uh, we basically leased the premises, and and that dictated what sort of business we would have and the goal was always to get to a point where it's sustainable and we've you know it's been three years or coming up three years of hard graft and and we're only just really um, starting to feel a little bit comfortable with with um, you know with where we've got to so 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 that's I mean that's one level of success um, and then from here um, you know while people are enjoying our beers we just want to keep making really interesting and, uh, and 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 great products like the the blender series for me is really exciting because we launched that as a quite an experimental product and it was really unknown as to how it would be perceived so we launched it at Beavana down in Wellington and uh, and and that was that was quite a risk I thought because we did brew a lot of it and we had a lot of cans to, to get into the market and and it, it's gone really well and um, and we've had we've had inquiries from numerous countries overseas we've had a lot of the local Retailers just crying out, "Can you get us the next one? Get us the next one!" So, so, so things like that. Uh, just keep innovating, keep bringing new products, keep people really interested in, um, in, in drinking new and interesting beers. It's, 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 that's what success is for me. I'm sure Bruce has got some other other comments on that. Yeah, I totally support everything Thomas said, and we've got the same um, interest there. Um, beer for me is also so fun, and it, it's always been a fun kind of. I don't know, your social lubricant people use, but also it's, uh, it shouldn't be taken too seriously. And the more we can engage people with new styles of beer and get people that aren't drinking great beer to be drinking good beer, um, then we're winning. Um, we've built a really good team. Um, uh, we have a lot of fun, and we want to keep that um, really sustainable and employ people that enjoy coming to work because um, then it makes our lives fun as well. Um, and yeah, just keep on innovating and keep on bringing people to the industry. Well, it's so cool to hear that success is actually enjoying the journey and where you are now because <laughs> that seems to be the secret to happiness in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, Bruce Turner and Thomas Rowe, two of the three co-founders at Urbanaut. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Joyce, thank you. Thank you to Tina Diller for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening all this year. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin off 
and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.